Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, the 26th chapter, please? One of the beauties of the Word of God is that it is alive. It is um, inerrant. It, it is inspired. Not one, um, not one jot or tittle, those are funny King James words, will pass away. And I'm so thankful for the Word of God. And But one of the things that just continually amazes me is that the Word of God is alive. It... Um, it continues to speak new things from passages that we've known throughout our walk in Christ. And not only does God use his word in different ways while maintaining the foundational um, truth of that word, but there are continually nuggets of fresh revelation that emerge from the scripture and no matter how many times you have studied or taught about it, um, the Spirit of the Lord can always bring something fresh from it. And so I'm very, very grateful for that. And such is the case with the passage that we're going to look at today in Genesis 26 as we talk again about Isaac. And this time we're going to be talking about how that he was uh, redigging the wells of his father Abraham. I don't know how many times uh, the Spirit has led me to speak from this passage. I know that I can remember a number of times um, in different nations speaking about this. One that I was praying about early this morning was in regard to Geneva. I remember speaking about this at a conference we had there in uh, a, a beautiful old facility called the Oratoire. It's where the International Red Cross was formed. And the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night. I was going to be speaking on Sunday morning and told me to make a declaration over, over Geneva that the ancient wells of the Reformation and the ancient wells of the inception of the Word of God that were planted there and so many other spiritual capacities that are in that histemi there that the people needed to pray and ask God to open that up. I still remember that, and I am I know that it's been acted upon, and I know that it's only begun to be manifested. But today, the Lord has drawn this to our attention, and um, I believe that there are some new things that God is going to speak about this. So, we are in Genesis 26, and we're going to read uh, a number of verses, and so let's, uh, let's go. I'll read off the screen, just like uh, many of you are. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year an hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great, for he had possession of flocks, possession of herds, and great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Esek, because they strove with him. And they digged another well and strove for that also, and he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence and digged another well, and for that they strove not, and he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And he went up from thence to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared unto him in the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee, and will bless thee, and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there, and called upon the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants digged a well. 
Then Abimelech went to him from Gerar, and Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the, uh, the chief captain of his army. And Isaac said unto them, Wherefore come ye to me, seeing you hate me, and have sent me away from you? And they said, We saw certainly that the Lord was with thee, and we said, Let there be now an oath betwixt us, even betwixt us and thee, and let us make a covenant with thee, that thou wilt do us no hurt, as we have not touched thee, and as we have done unto thee nothing but good, and have sent thee in peace. Thou art now the blessed of the Lord. And he made them a feast, and they did eat and drink, and they rose up betimes in the morning, and swear one to another. And Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him concerning the well which they had digged, and said unto them, We have found water, and he called it Sheba, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba until this day. That was a long passage of Scripture, but it's a good one. You know, there are a number of things we could say about this. I think the first thing that we need to recognize is for some reason God has really drawn me to focus on Isaac. And I do think, as we've said over the past couple of weeks, that Isaac is the middle patriarch. And he is one that represents really digging in to not just to receive the promise, but to stand in the valley with the promise and believe for there to be a coming fruitfulness beyond the blessing, a fruitfulness and a fulfillment of what the promise is. There's that threefold measure of promise, selah, and fulfillment, and Isaac fits in that capacity. We are really in a position right now where God has blessed us. We've received, um, we've received his promise. We have uh, done our best to walk in the footsteps of our father Abraham, and um, we have proclaimed what God is wanting to do, and God has blessed us. But we are standing in the gap for um, the, uh, a measure of fulfillment of the ultimate promise that God has given to us as saints and as sons. And we're going to see, as we look at uh, these wells, why that's so important for us to focus on in these days in our world, as well as at prophetically what is about to come. The other thing I wanted to say about Isaac is that Abraham and Isaac, uh, they really dwelt in the midst of the Philistines. And this Abimelech fellow, it really means um, my father is king, but that word Molech is also the name of one of the chief gods, de demons, of that area. Now, we know that Molech was one that was famous for uh, requiring the sacrifice of children. And I think with that in mind, uh, we have the, the, uh, the scenario where Abraham was asked by God if he would be willing to sacrifice his son. And we know that is a, that is a, uh, a type of the ultimate sacrifice of all time where God sent his only begotten son and he was that wonderful provision provided for us. But I think it's also interesting that Abram was asked if he would be willing to do this in the midst of a land where obviously these people were predisposed to worship a demon that required um, children to be sacrificed. I just think that's very interesting. So Abimelech was, was simply a name for the ruler of these people because Abraham had to deal with him. And then many, many decades later, a guy by the same name is here dealing with Isaac. And it's interesting, too, that this Phicol guy is really the name of their general because 
the general of the army was named this in Abram's day, and he's also named this in uh, Isaac's day. And that name really means to be a mouthpiece or somebody who, who shouts out directions. And um, so it's kind of an interesting uh, name for a general of their army or how many people they had in their army. But that's why he keeps showing up in these, in, these, uh, in these encounters. So here you have Isaac, and he is being blessed, and he comes to wells that his father had dug that the, these Philistines plugged up. Now, why did they plug up these wells? Because in Abraham's day, he, he also had to go through this provision of striving for the well, coming against accusation, finding something that was more than enough for everybody, and then the area of the Sheba or Beersheba. And Abraham at Beersheba in um, Genesis 21 made an agreement with the Abimelech of his day and this was, there, there were seven times that Abraham, the Bible says, met with Abimelech. There were seven measures of sacrifice. There were seven ewes. There, there, this was just a place of seven. It was a covenant place in Genesis 21. And he, he made this covenant with Abimelech before Elohim that is everlasting, Olam El is what that is. And that's the only time Olem is used in conjunction with Elohim. And I don't necessarily think it's a name of God. It's a description of the everlasting nature of Elohim because it uses a descriptive there. And Abram was planting a grove of tamarisk trees, and he was saying that this is the place where the covenant is fulfilled. This is the place where we finally step into the sevenfold measure of the Selah. This is the place where we can rest because after the, in the, fourfold pro, uh, the, the fourfold progression, we finally come into a point of lasting agreement and we can know blessing here. And that's what Beersheba meant. And it's wonderful to know that when you walk things out with God, seven represents the ways of God. It represents the fullness of his ways. And um, when, you, when you walk through a sila and you come to a point where there's a fulfillment, there's a salah, and that's a fulfillment. So you have this sheba, which is uh, a measure of the seven. And this was just Beersheba, just beer mean, mean, bent, meant well or, or water. And some places, I guess, in, uh, in Europe, maybe in Norway or whatever, beer was just their water. But anyway... Um, that, that is just an interesting thing. So Abram made this covenant. And as soon as Abraham died, the Philistines who had honored that covenant said, okay, that's it. Covenant's over. It's not everlasting. It's just as, as old as this old man lived. So we're filling in all these wells. We're, we're, we're done with that. So it wasn't just that they were being, that they were being gnarly and they were just going around filling in wells. Um, they, they felt that the covenant with Abraham was over. And so they began to plug up these wells. And so when Isaac comes into this place, he's thinking, this covenant is mine. It's not ended. And he had to insist on those same wells being opened. And I think that's the first lesson that we need to learn as Christians, you can't get by on just on the fact that, you know, the people who wrote the hymns and, you know, the people who were the founders of movements had a relationship with God. You, you got to press in because very often when they die or when they pass on, the enemy's going to think, good, they're out of the way. Let's just gap up all the places that they had gained access for because the next person in line is not going to really care about it. And very often, that's the case. They're not willing to redig the wells. They're not willing to put what is uh, required of them 
into the labor to say, this is my covenant too, this is mine. You know, Dennis was speaking this morning in Sunday school about the dangers of complacency, and that is really true. Um, so often you have people that like to sing about other people's experiences, uh, and that's why so many of the, of, the, of the deeper truths of the Word of God, the deeper truths that were discovered by people who really pressed into God and applied them, that's why so many of them have been forgotten over the generations because a new generation arises and they, they say, you know, they're like Israel that came into the land. You know, we don't need to fight anymore. You know, we'll just intermarry. We'll just get by. We're blessed now. There were two and a half tribes that when they were entering into the land said, we got ours, you guys go ahead and get yours. And there's always that danger of saying, I'm not going to press forward to the next point of blessing. And I think that that's one of the things for us as Isaac in, in representing this Selah moment of the patriarch. We have a responsibility to press in for all that the gospel has required. Not just to sing about, oh yeah, we had it back then, but to press in and pay the price now and not let the enemy corrupt and, and pollute those life-giving supplies, those wells of salvation. And um, we've got to insist for all that is ours, and we have to pay the price for it. And so that's, to me, a first lesson. The second lesson is that, you know, we have studied about what the Bible speaks about are the four measures by which God moved from his throne, which, is, which are listed for us in Revelation and are depicted throughout the Word of God, the voice, thunders, lightnings, and earthquake progression. And we've talked about how that is really the, uh, the way that an intercessor really partners with God because everything begins with a voice. You have to commit yourself that you're going to be an intercessor before God, and you're going to have to be willing to lift your voice. And then you, through contrition, are caught up by convection into that secret place of thunder where you become um, not only energized as a thunderstorm would be, uh, but you also are becoming indoctrinated by what it is that God wants to do. And then when God sends you forth as lightning, which his sons are, you strike the place with power to fulfill uh, or, to, or to believe for the fulfillment of what he wants to do. And the earthquake is the turning things right side up and bringing restoration. That's the way God moves, voice, thunders, lightnings, and earthquakes. And we see that pattern here in the four wells. Now, let's consider this, because to me, the measures of opposition and contention that are listed here are the enemy's attempt to foil this fourfold progression. And in fact, when we see what the servants of Gerar did, um, we, we see the enemy's intent to stop and to hinder the voices, thunders, lightnings, and earthquakes. The first one is Esek, and that means to, to strive against, to get in the face, to say, no, you're not doing it. You're, you're not getting this well. This is our water. You know, you're, you're, not, you're not having it. We're going we're gonna to make things very difficult for you. You know, we're, we're not going to let you in here. And it's the violent take it by force type of a thing. And when you decide that you're going to be an intercessor and lift your voice before God and you're committing to this process, there's going to be all kinds of things that will try to resist you and to strive against you taking those steps forward. And you have to commit yourself to say, I'm going to be what God wants. I want what he's promised. And the biggest point of challenge in this initial stage is what are you willing to do? And what aren't you willing to do? Are you willing to stand up for yourself? Are you willing to say, yes, 
I want this and I'm going to do whatever is necessary to get it because it's my promise, it's from God. And the biggest issue right then in that initial stage is am I am I going to am I going to stand and hold my ground and insist upon what is mine? I mean a lot of people when they get to this point they they don't want to do it. They want to go along, get along. And they just back down. They are Isaac and name only. <laughs> They're I knows. <laughs> Oh, I thought it was funny. So, um, but, you know, this is the point. And, you know, I remember when we first began this pathway uh, of, of intercession in the way God has given us through diversities of tongues and being on our face before God. You know, the biggest challenges we had at that point was choosing this day whom we'll serve. Am I willing to do this? Am I willing to go forth? Am I willing to... Not just try it, but go for it. And that's the issue of the voice. That's the issue of, you know, again, back to complacency. Am I just going to dwell in Canaan land and wait for the trumpet to blow? Or am I going to say, hey, there's some promises here that are mine, and I want to serve my Father in them. We all had to make that decision. And guess what? We all have to continue to make that decision decision part of our life because if you're not careful you can just devolve into somebody that sings about the good old days or can hear somebody else testify about it or reminisce about it but really not doing it anymore kind of like white and sepulcher and so this striving was there but now one of the things we recognize about striving in the scripture is that where strife is, there is every evil work. seems I read that somewhere. And I do believe that it is in the holy word of God. And when, once strife, once you pass through the well of strife, then comes accusation. This word sitna, which incidentally is the same word that is translated as Satan. And so... The accusation's going to be there. It's no longer striving. It's you being called things or mislabeled or accused of things you didn't do or the things you did do, they're being misconstrued, and that is really the tactic of the accuser of the brethren. And we sure walked through that, didn't we? And, you know, what can you do? God said to me early on, don't, don't defend yourself. Make sure your people understand the scenarios you're in, but don't, don't chase down all these red herring uh, accusations because they will wear you out and it'll end up bringing you into a place that you don't need to be. This is where Satan um, loves to, to get people. And so, the, the way he destroys this second well is either by making you incensed by the things that are being said about you or to wear you out in tracking them all down and getting in people's faces and trying to clear your name. Because you know what? One thing I've learned, no matter what you do, you're never going to be able to clear your name. You're just not. You know, to me, over the years, the best way to do that is to prove your faithfulness. Time will tell. By your fruit, they'll know you. And over the years, I've been accused of some heinous things. And it hurts. It, it hurts as any of us would uh, to have wrong things said about you by people who should know better. And they even, as David said, they gnash they gnash upon you with their teeth. And they said all kinds of lies. The only thing I can say is, where are those people? And the very people I was supposed to have been doing nefarious things with, they're all here in ministry. So where's the truth? So the best way you can go through a sitna thing in dealing with the enemy is to stay true to the promise of God, to stay true to what God has called you to be and to do, and to... Turn the other cheek. 
Turn every cheek you have. And let God show himself strong on your behalf. And that's the measure of thunder, isn't it? You're either going to press into God and be influenced by the, by the power and the dynamism, dynamism, dynamism of him. Say that with a ricola in your mouth. Or you, you will interact with others and you'll start clashing with them and you'll create some other kind of friction. And before you know it, you've fallen out of favor with the calling of God. You've lost your momentum. You've lost that measure of intimate trust in him. You've taken matters into your own hands and then the whole thing collapses. So we see this Isaac and this Sitna being demonic strategies to stop voices and thunders. What about lightnings? Well, the next well is Rehoboth, which means a broad place. It also can mean pathways. It can mean roadways being constructed. It is a, it is a gathering place. And, you know, it says here there's more than enough for everybody here. And how beautifully that shows itself in the, the idea of lightning. Because God begins to send forth His sons here, there, everywhere. And there's an expansion of the arrows of the Lord. And not only is there an expansion of that, but there is the gathering of those that the righteous nation may enter in, that they may come the, the pathway of holiness to know the walk of the saints and it's you going forth and people coming to say, let us be called by your name. Let us come up and worship with you. This is the, uh, an expanded measure of what lightning really is. And by the time you get into this point, you don't really see a contesting here, even though I'm sure the enemy doesn't like it. Now, why is that? Because by the time he has striven and by the time he is accused, he recognizes that if you make it through there, the only thing that can take you out at that point is the thorns of this world, the cares of life, which pierce the fruit. You remember from our teaching about Voices Thunder, the four types of soil seed progressions that Jesus taught about. You know, by the time... It gets to this point, the only thing the enemy can hope for is that people are like uh, uh, Demas, who forsakes the will of the Lord, uh, uh, applying his agape into the world. And we've got to be careful of that. Nothing corrupts like success. And we have to be very careful of that. Because there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a breakthrough here pretty soon. I don't know how God's going to do it. We're waiting on timing. We're making plans. We're sowing prophetically into it. We're preparing the food. Uh, you know, I spend several hours every day working on things that we're not using right now. And, and I know that there is a demand that God is preparing, and we're getting ready for it. And we as saints are going to move into that. When travel, you know, here's another thing. Think about this. Hasn't the enemy used these three things in our country, and not only in our country, in, in other nations in the world where you have strife, you have conflicting ideas, and you have people coming against each other, and they say, you know, this is what we're going to do. No, you're not going to do that. And then where does it go? Accusation. Well, you, because you don't like my idea, you are this, and you are that. And if you protest that, that just confirms that that's what you are. And it just goes back and forth. Haven't we seen that in our nation played out? It's everywhere. And, and then, what else? We've been sequestered. <laughs> We've been locked down. We've been prohibited from really traveling. The Rehoboth has been blocked. The broad way, the going in the various highways and byways has been blocked. Thank God for the Internet. But as we've seen over the past week, that can be shut off like like, I'm not snapping very well. Let's try this finger. That's much better. See, the right hand of snap comes forth. But we've seen this enemy strategy played out. And look, it's not just in the United States. It's in many other countries. You know, I had the privilege yesterday of speaking to uh, 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 many, many of the leadership in France 
on Zoom. And we went around the, 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 the nation talking about what was happening in their cities and in that city. And guess what? Even without Donald Trump over in that the country, they're facing the same strategies of the enemy. And the same could be said in, in many other nations. Brazil, um, I, I'm, and you know, I won't go through it, it's just an enemy strategy. What we're seeing right now, the enemy wants to hide behind and make it the herdsman coming together and fighting. But it's really him. And his agenda is to stop what God, if he can, what God has really promised he's going to do. We can't let that happen. We've got to stay focused. We've got to stay on target. And, you know, uh, I think the, the objective is the Beersheba. The objective is the ways of God being fulfilled. The objective is our covenant with the, uh, our everlasting covenant with Elohim, what he put it in our hearts from his heart to believe for. And that's what our end game is. That's what we want. And finally, you see here that when, when Isaac gets to the place where Beersheba is going to be recognized, that, that covenant with Abraham, here comes Abimelech, and here comes one of his buddies, and here comes the general of the army. And they're saying, whoa, 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 we don't want to fight with you now, you know. We, I surrender all. You know, we're, we're going to honor this agreement. And, and what, what has been made as a covenant before Elohim is here. That's what we want. Now, you know, we know the enemy is never going to agree. Our enemy is never going to agree to that. But what we can look forward to is the fulfillment of what God has promised. Because it's not, see, see hear this. It's not a promise necessarily to us. Even though we have acclaimed it, the promise is according to what God has intended to do from the foundation of the world. We're serving Him. Uh, he's not serving us. So if you keep that in perspective, that this thing that we're called to do and be, and what we're facing in, in a national and international perspective, it's not about us. It's about the eternal measure of God. And so we're going to see and believe for the promise that was given to our father Abram to all who walk in faith. And we're going to see uh, what God has promised. But right now we're in that Isaac thing. Um, you know, and it's funny how, again, complacency. So many of us have been taken out of our pattern. You know, you're not, and I think that can be easily said about everybody over this past year. The things that you may have done for years have now suddenly and abruptly um, been altered. Your patterns, what you do, when you do it, what you don't do. <clears throat> and it's kind of like in, in a negative way when you, there's a habit and you've got to break it. You know, they used to say, if you, if you don't do it for 21 days, then you, you pretty much have broken the pattern. And if you want to stay free of whatever that habit is, you can keep doing it. Well, how about a year? Um, and maybe, maybe it's affected the way you've prayed. Maybe it's affected your time on your face before God. Maybe it's affected whether you're praying in diversities of tongues or not. It certainly has affected our being able to come together as a group and pray. It's affected our visiting and spending time with our, the pockets of the saints, our network families. And that, that break in the pattern can really cause us, if we're not careful, to forget about the Beersheba promise of God. And we can, we can also start to think, well, it doesn't really matter whether I do this or not, you know. And before you know it, you've grown cold. And I think that this issue of Isaac and the wells is, yes, it's for our calling mutually, 
Yes, it's for our nation and the nations of the world. Yes, of course, it's for the overall commitment we have to what God's wanting to do. But there's something else here that is for each one of us. It affects who you are in God. What did the everlasting Elohim create you to be? What is your covenant with him? What did he put in your life to achieve on behalf of his eternal kingdom? What has he invested of himself into you? That is your Beersheba. And if you're not careful, the enemy will come and he will cause you not to want to stand up for him and pay the price. He will cause you to surrender uh, to the, the official arguments of the enemy. He'll cause you to, to, to give up on the thought, well, you know, I'm not really making much of an impact. You know, it doesn't really matter, you know. Uh, you know, all that goofy Eeyore, the prophet Eeyore kind of stuff. Nobody notices me. Which some are prone to go into more than others. I think we all have a proclivity of that somewhere in us. Maybe not Fran, but the rest of us have to face that. And I think we need to ask ourselves, these wells that God has given to me, deep within, spring up a well out of your innermost being, rivers of living water. Spring up a well within my soul. Um, are we, have we let self or the world or the enemy or combination of, of so many plug up those places to where we're just dry we're, oh, I just wish I could pray with this mighty person over here. I miss praying with them because that just seems to open up heaven. Well, guess what? The well is in you. <laughs> and ain't nobody going to be able to open that but you and the spade of the Spirit. And so um, we have to ask ourselves, where am I in this? The beauty of all of this story is that Isaac uh, redigs the wells and uh, God honors that. Now, the sad part of it is, is that when you start coming into the point of full, the patriarchal fulfillment and you get, uh, you get twins like Esau and Jacob, you see the very next verse. Um, well, then, very, okay, for the 34 and 35, I'll read it. No sense putting it on the screen. Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beer, the daughter of Beery the Hittite, and Bashamoth, sounds like something Borat would say, uh, the daughter of Elon, the Elon Musk the Hittite, um, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. A grief of mind. That sounds like a good book that Mark Burke, that'd be a good Mark Burke book title, A Grief of Mind, How Overcoming a Grief of Mind. Can you imagine that? No sooner are they celebrating, you know, we've got Beersheba, we've reclaimed this, and Esau goes out among the Hittites and brings in, uh, he brings in somebody into the tents that is a grief of mind to Isaac. It went from the blessing of, of Olam El to a grief of mind like that. And then, my goodness, Esau and Jacob going after one another. Oh, my goodness. So we got to be really careful when we're, and of course, we can, we've got to break through. <laughs> but once the time of fruitfulness comes and the the tribes are being put forward. Uh, we've got to be really careful. I mean, we, we really have to ask for the blessing of the Lord. I don't want to go too far with this, but I just think it's interesting that Abraham's first son, uh, Ishmael, was an archer. And if you, if you study that word, it doesn't just mean somebody who shoots bows and arrows. It means somebody that has the ability to mobilize people to expand. And the Bedouin tribes of the Sinai Peninsula all have their, their roots through him. And, um, uh, and then 
the, the, the firstborn of uh, Isaac is Esau, who's a, a ruddy man. I mean, he's out in the woods. He smells like the outdoors. He, how, do, how do I know that? Not from an Old Spice commercial. That's what his dad says. And his mom knew it too. Can you imagine Tammy having, having to mother those two? That would have been a crazy, crazy life. Imagine the post-it notes you'd wear out. So, you know, but, but both of the firstborns were these guys that were really aggressive and mobilizing. And um, I wonder about that. I don't want to wonder too much about it because what actually happened then was Jacob was the one, the supplanter, who was very much like his uncle Laban, and that's probably why Rebecca felt so much comfortable, so much comfort being around him because it reminded her of being back home. You know, my dad used to be, my, my dad and my brother, they were just as slick as this kid is. Maybe I can help him along. Um, but we really got to, we've got to break through in the Lord, but then we've got to be wary to be able to, follow the Lord that hopefully we don't make the same mistakes in, in you know think about that what happened with Jacob what happened my goodness well that's that's further on down the line so today I I truly felt that we need to gain a perspective of where we are in the timeline of God um, we are we are not God hasn't missed a turn. God hasn't screwed up in some way. He never does. And when I was praying about these wells, I felt, Lord, we, we need to reassert our absolute devotion to everything you've given us, to every point in our household, every point in this sanctuary, every point in our lives, and we've got to just make sure that our enemy has not, occ has not occluded or um, blocked or kept us from utilizing what is ours. Because if you don't use it, you lose it. And so we've got to be very careful of that. Secondly, we've got to recognize that this same pattern is going on in the world. You know, the enemy knows that the promise of God is coming. The enemy knows that the former and the latter rain are going to fall. The enemy knows that there is a great visitation of the Spirit that's going to visit this land and it's going to sweep throughout the world. The enemy knows that. So it would make sense that he would employ against intercessors and just into to the, general, uh, the general flow of the Spirit realm, uh, this strife and accusations and hindrance of being able to maneuver, all to stop what God's eternal promise is. And so we've got to view things the way they really are. And I know that, see, we, I can say this. I, I, you know, we have two major political parties in our country. And I'm sure that there are um, both sides think they see this and they do they're just viewing it through different perspectives the right thinks that the left is this way the left is convinced that the right is this way and the enemy's sitting there thinking man this is like the pharisees and the sadducees fighting against you sadducees <laughs> it's a new sandwich at <laughs> jack in the box <laughs> um, come down and get buy one get one Sagittees. The enemy's just sitting there thinking, this is great. They're both applying this evil dimension of voice thunders, lightnings, and earthquakes. And I'm just watching the strife. I'm watching the accusation. I'm walking, watching the hindrances. And I want to stop. If I can engender this throughout this great land, I can stop the promise of God from coming. Well, that sounds like a good plan, but it's not going to work because as opposed to what this nation is supposed to be, God's kingdom is not a democracy. 
He doesn't have to have more people doing the kind of prayer we're doing uh, and to have a majority in that for his plan to come. All he needs is one. All he needs is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And there's more than one. But we've got to be sure that we're that Isaiah-like person who say, here am I, send me, here am I. We recognize this, and I don't see how anybody could not recognize this in our land and in the nations. But what we see is one man who said, I'm not going to surrender to it. I'm going to lay claim to the promise. And what's, what's been given to me on behalf of my father, I want. And that's what we need to say. And that's what we need to be. Yeah, it doesn't make the herdsmen run away who are striving. It doesn't make the herdsmen and their, their foremen who are accusing to run away. It doesn't, doesn't do any of that. But Isaac, in the midst of it, laid claim to it. Amen? So the, the sad part about this is that having said that, um, the only thing that's going to really bring a breakthrough on behalf of our nation and the nations of the world is a twofold thing. When God says enough is enough and his timing has come, has fully come, how many times in the scripture have you seen that, not just at Pentecost, but um, there'll be a rustling in the mulberry trees and then God will say, all right, time is, time is no more in this, and it's, it's time for a breakthrough. And at that point, there will be, there'll be wonderful demonstrations of things that God has promised that even, even those who don't believe there's a God, who sit in churches every week and don't believe in the miraculous, they really are like the Sadducees. And some of them will say, wow, look at that miracle. And others will say, oh, that's just fake. I mean, that's not the way it is. You say, well, how can that be? I always wondered about that in the scripture. How could Jesus heal a man with a withered hand and on the other side of a small synagogue, people are plotting to kill him? How can that be? How, how can those things be? How can Jesus ascend up into the clouds and in the midst of that group who saw it, the Bible says, Many doubted. How can Pentecost be happening? And there are languages of all over the earth and, and even angelic languages, all kinds of languages, tongues of fire on people's heads, seen by others, and have people say, you know what, these guys are just drunk. How can that be? I don't know. But God is going to break through. And I don't know when. We've just got to keep holding on and digging and doing what he says and trusting him. Um, because again, this is where we are. I fully believe it. And this describes more than any other way what we as a nation have faced. And, um, you know, some who are in Christendom are overcome with strife. Others are overcome with accusation. And then they even become the they become the progenitors of, of accusation. Well, if you really are a Christian, you'll join with us and do this. And if you don't, that means you don't love God. Accusation. Have you heard that before? We just need to stay firm and know whom we believe. And know it's not by might or by power, but by his spirit. And know that God is in control. And that there's a bigger theater of understanding that's in play here. And the key is, when everybody else is losing their heads, you stay with your head, the Lord. And you keep holding on because this is what God has said. His throne still works this way. His ways still operate this way. And um, this fourfold progression leads to the fulfillment of the ways of God. And that's where we're headed. So I encourage you to view things, read through this scripture, and view what's happening in our world through this prism. And, but most importantly, I think, 
is to revisit this in your own life and see where you are in this and recognize that God loves you and he's invested a lot in you and he wants to use you and he will. These wells are yours and um, they're going to spring forth. Uh, I, you know, I, I, th I think one of the aspects of the days of Noah, and I'm ending with this, is that the, uh, not only was there rain that fell for the first time, but the fountains of the deep broke open. And what we're going to know, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the end of time be, these wells that God has placed are going to break forth. And you notice it says springing water, uh, springing water. Well, that wasn't the old song, bringing at the springs of springing water. No, it was living water. I remember we had a youth camp, which I never went to, uh, in the Eastern District of the Assemblies of God, and it was called Living Waters Camp. And one of the reasons I didn't go was that they had a water supply, and about every year they'd have to fish out two or three dead animals out of it. And that was living water, I can tell you that. Uh, no extra charge for that. We're going to see the wells of salvation spring forth, and we're going to see the former and the latter rain come, and it's going to flood. It's, it's the days of Noah. I, I just look forward to that. And so I proclaim the blessing of God over each of you, and I ask that God would cause our perspective to come into alignment with His. These things just didn't happen. They, they just didn't occur. No scripture is of just an individual uh, a measure of fulfillment. It's, it's, it's for all of us. And God took great pains to move with these patriarchs, and there are hidden lessons in this for all of us. And I think these wells is and understanding them has a great meaning for us as individuals and for us in this world. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Help us to be those that will continue to be willing to be as Isaac. His very name means laughter or even mocking. Let us choose to, to laugh and rejoice in the midst of those who might mock this belief that you've given us. And, and I pray that you will encourage every one of your people I pray that you would cause us to rise up and, and do, the, do the digging of intercession that we were made to be, that we know how to do. And let us bless you as we serve you. Provide for every one of your people. And if there's, if there's somebody here who said, you know, Lord, I, I've heard this message, and on a personal level and on a national level, I, I recognize that I've missed it in several ways. That's okay. God sent this word for you. Key is for us to be hearers and doers and to not just keep going down the pathway of ignoring what the strategy of the enemy has been against us. So we commit ourselves afresh to you, Father, and we thank you for your love. We thank you for your plan, and we thank you for what you're going to do. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless all of you. Thank you for tuning in, and thank each of you for being here. Uh, it's not as exciting as last week when the great snowstorm of 21 blew through. But enjoy the sunshine this afternoon, and keep on praying. God bless you. Goodbye.